Sportsnet today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, Calgary. Hour 2 Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan on this Friday ahead of a long weekend just for Pat Steinberg. It's Friday. Just for Pat. Just for Pat. Uh, Still to come today on the program, we'll chat uh, with Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post. Lots to dive into around the Denver Broncos, the re-signing of Russell Wilson. That's a massive contract. His impact on the team so far for his uh, first training camp as a member of the Broncos. So lots to get to there. And a very interesting AL East. Uh, excuse me, AFC West. It's all good. <laughs> Caught myself there. It is a very interesting It division. is an interesting AL East, too. Yeah, Don't get too. me wrong. Uh, speaking of the AL East, that's how I'm going to transition this. Okay. Um, wanted to play this. Uh, Mark Shapiro joined uh, Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker the other day on uh, Blair and Barker on our sister station, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and uh, dove into a couple of topics, and he starts right off the top uh, about the lofty expectations around this group that he and you know uh, Ross Atkins set for this team at the beginning of the season and whether or not he feels the group is meeting those expectations or still has room to uh, improve heading into the month of September. Uh, the Jays taking on the Pirates tonight, a 435 first pitch here on Sportsnet 960. Uh, another team that they need to beat if they want to find themselves in a playoff spot at the end of this month. And based on the last two series, there's no guarantee that's going to happen. So how is Mark Shapiro, president of the Toronto Blue Jays, feeling uh, as the month as the months shift into September and uh, his team is in a playoff spot, but maybe a perilous one. Here's uh, Mark Shapiro with Blair and Barker a little bit earlier. It's great to welcome back to the show Mark Shapiro, mm-hmm. president of the Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, Mark, we trust that you're doing well. And and I'll just ask you the first question. You've set pretty lofty expectations for this team at the end of last year. Are you confident that this team is on the road to reaching those expectations with a month and a bit left. Well, I mean, we're, I think if you had told me we'd be 12 games above 500 and three games ahead for a playoff spot, I'd probably say I'd like to be a little better than that, but we're, we're in a good spot. So uh, I think it's, you know, it, it's an awkward juncture. I wouldn't normally come on with you guys right now and mm-hmm. because it's not time to draw conclusions. It's time to kind of understand where we are. It's been a, you know, an up and down season, certainly, um, you know, one that's, one of the more strange ones that I've, you know, observed. Uh, but at the same time, I know, you know, again, ha- being having the privilege to have a front row seat, you know, you couldn't have a group of guys that care more, work harder, or better teammates and have talent. So that's, you know, normally I would say you put all those things together and you've got a heck of a an opportunity to play in postseason. Now it's for me, it's 
finishing strong and and really ensuring that we're playing our best baseball heading into the playoffs because I think whether it's the Braves last year or many other historical examples, if we're playing our best baseball uh, and we get in the playoffs, anything can happen. You call it one of the strangest years you've been part of. What's been the strangest part of it? I don't know, just that we've, you know, that all those conditions are there and yet it's been you know there's been some some challenging periods where we we haven't played well um you know again i think i don't want to write the you know write the last chapter of the book and i think uh that's premature but probably probably just that since uh having that front row seat since john snyder has taken over how how have you seen that he's done and and how's it been going with him yeah, he's been great. Um, you know, he's got the incredible uh, advantage of having, you know, decades within this organization, relationships built, you know, from Toronto to Dunedin to New Hampshire to Buffalo to Vancouver, you know, uh, with our players, with our staff, you know, with, you know, with the people around the team. And so it's been comfortable for him. It's not a role, uh, you know, Kevin, you can ever really prepare for. You know, you can't simulate how it's going to feel when you get in it. So I think none of us know how a first-time manager is ever really going to react until, you know, he's in that seat. <clears throat> but uh, he's done a great job. He's, I think he's lifted, um, you know, so many positive things around our team, and he's, he's been great. He has the interim tag right now in front of his name. Uh, what does he have to do to remove that tag? And will it be who will ulti- ultimately, pardon me, make the final call? Will it be Ross? Will it be you? Will it be a combination of people? Well, A, I think that is a more appropriate answer for Ross to give. And B, you know, that I'm surprised seven years in you're still asking that question. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because we just don't make we won't don't make decisions that way. You know, it uh you know, we've got an incredible group of people here. I think what we pride ourselves in doing is is framing a really strong process for making that decision with the input from the people that, you know, would would have information from different perspectives and different angles. And in the end, of course, Ross is the person that is in charge and accountable for overseeing our baseball operation on a day-to-day basis. So if you, if you, if you need to have a mass culture, you know, view and you can't, you, you don't, you know, choose to, to think about a, a collaborative organization, making a decision together, uh, then I would, that would answer that Ross. Um, the, Stepping back a little bit from the, the team on the field, I, uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the renovations at the, the ballpark that you've announced. And, and also kind of a broader picture. This is an organization, an organization and an ownership group that you know, had a couple of years where it wasn't able to have to play in front of regular sized crowds at home. I had to play in Buffalo for a bit. And then when you did come back here, obviously there were restrictions due to COVID-19. Now we're at a point where many economists you know, are, are forecasting a potential recession. I'm just wondering, Mark, what you see as the greatest challenges going forward, let's say over the next 12 months from that aspect, right? Off the field, renovations, ticket sales, and what could be a, a you know, a recession. 
Yeah, I mean, Jeff, I think I'd imagine you've heard me say it in the past, but I'm, I'm a big believer in controlling the controllable. Um, you know, I'm not the, the Canadian economy, the North American economy is not something I'm focused on controlling. I'm focused on mm-hmm. doing everything you know possible to create the best experience for our fans. That starts with a sustainable championship team and, and goes to what the renovations are going to bring, which is a you know, a tremendous lift in fan experience. But, um, you know, I, I truly believe that, you know, the there is limitless potential for this market if we're able to build a, sustain, a sustainable championship team and win year after year. So, um, you know, I'm not any economic conditions at any one moment in time. Uh, I, we are incredibly fortunate to have an owner who's not viewing it, you know, on a limited basis on one year, right. uh, but thinking more about a continuum. That's been evident from the way they supported us throughout the pandemic, and it's been uh, it'll be evident in the way they support us moving forward. Yeah, I guess my 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 bigger concern there was just because this this team since 2015 2016 we've seen the impact of a winning team, the organizations, and everybody. Obviously, it's on the it's it's moving and in the forward direction. I was just wondering if the, if you, you thought that perhaps with, you know, I know you can't control the economy, but you may have to react to it in terms of ticket pricing and things of that nature. Is that just, uh, you know, is that just kind of independent of, of, of those factors? No, I think demand impacts ticket pricing for sure. Okay. So, right. I mean, I guess, you know, that's a variable within, you know, what creates demand. Right. Mark, what's the chances of getting an all-star game in Toronto? Well, I hope good. You'd have to call Commissioner Manfred, but uh, you know we we have put in a bid, um, and we we hope to have a game here. I think, you know, a couple things. One, um, the renovation is going to make the building uh, capable and a showcase that fits the city and the country and the team. And so, uh, it's you know it's been. 30 years, I think, right? 30 years mm-hmm. since an all-star game has been here. Um, think about how much this city has changed during that time. Um, that was, you know, actually my first season in Major League Baseball. Um, and, you know, while the, the team was at, an, was at a zenith, you know, the city has grown, you know, astronomically since then. Um, there's so much to show off. There's so much to showcase. I just, I can't imagine a better showcase for Major League Baseball than to, you know, have the Midsummer Classic, you know, in Toronto. Mark, I know you mentioned that Ross is the guy that you go to to judge players and how their seasons went, but you have been around a, a lot of young players, you know, in specific for, uh, with Bo and Vladdy. I just wonder how you would judge their season with all the information and what they're trying to go through, where they're trying to go. You know, is it underperforming? Is it uh, analytics? Is it too much information? How do you ju- judge young players this time of the season? Yeah, I mean, I I try to wait for all the information to be in before I draw conclusions, you know, but I think the how I feel about those young players, Kevin hasn't really changed as far as how talented they are, how sure. athletic they are. I you know, um but there is a maturation process and I think I've said this to you guys before. I know I I know and you know, you talk about the the decades of baseball I've watched and development is not linear. It's not that steady line up, you know, and that's the beauty of young players is you, you often have the upside of incredible performances, but you know, you also get some downside with that. But what you hope is that over time, um, you know, that 
they're having a very gradual line up, you know, if you connect the dots from those ups and downs. So, um, you know, whereas like if you have a 32 year old guy like George Springer, it's, you know, you may not quite have the upside, you know, of a, you know, a season that shocks you, but you, you're pretty sure what you're going to get from him. And we're, when he's been on the field, that's exactly what we've gotten from him. You so, think, yeah, sorry. You think we're too hard on Bo playing shortstop every single day? Um, I mean, I think no one's as hard on Bo as Bo as as Bo is on himself. That's, sure. that's the answer I can give. You know, mm-hmm. and that's probably one of the things that he's going to have to figure out how to uh, you know handle over a career is that he's so driven uh, to be an elite player. He's so driven to be great that he's never satisfied with his effort. He's never satisfied with the outcomes. Um, just to me, that athleticism. Um, his knowledge and love of the game um, and that drive are, are a good bet over time. But, uh, you know, I would say, you know, he probably wants to be better, but I'm not sure he'll ever not want to be better than what he is. Mark, I'm sure you know that every time a contract mm-hmm. such as Julio Rodriguez's is announced or any time the Braves do anything with one of their young guys, I mean, a lot of us in the media and also, frankly, a lot of fans – look at Vladdy mm-hmm. and look at Bo and Vladdy in particular and say, okay, when, when did the Jays pony up and give, and give these guys a multi-year contract? And uh, I'm wondering what Vladdy's after this year going to be three years away from free agency. Is there, is there a point where the, the ship kind of leaves the port when it comes to that and you're almost, it's almost more difficult to get a contract done with a guy or is that, you know, is that just sort of, uh, make-believe general manager, fantasy general manager talk? (laughs) Um, No, I mean, there is probably a point when you get closer to free agency that a player, like, wants to test free agency, but I still think even if it gets to that point, it's not a player that we can't sign if we're willing to to pay whatever the market price is. Um, You know, the... I think the one thing that might get left out of the public discourse is it's not, it's not a unilateral decision. We're not making a decision to sign any individual player long-term. It's a, it's a, uh, a relationship between a player and the organization. And it's ultimately about sharing risk. Uh, you look for the sweet spot where a player is comfortable giving up, you know, some of the upside of reaching a free agent market and the club is comfortable guaranteeing, you know, through ups and downs, injuries, you know, everything else. And, and both both uh, sides are, are taking on some risk in doing that. Uh, and you try to find that that middle ground where both are comfortable with the risk that they're taking. A player, you know, like a Jose Ramirez, for example, you know, says, you know, what I've got in Cleveland is, you know, makes me happy. I don't need anything more. I know I might be able to get more, probably could get more. The Cleveland Indi- Cleveland Guardians say we're going to stretch to pay a player that much, even though it's hard for us to do in this market and with that payroll um, because it's a special player and we believe in him and we want him to represent you know everything we're about as an organization. Um, they both give up something because that certainty within the smaller payroll is tough for the, the Guardians to do. And you know Jose gives up you know finding out what he could have gotten if he had gone to free agency. So that's an example from another team's player. I don't you know that's already done complete. You know I don't have to you know guess, but I, I'm not going to you know talk about our guys individually except to tell you. The same thing we've said all along. We've we've already had those conversations. We will continue at the appropriate time to have them again, and we'll keep looking for that sweet spot where we both feel good about the risk that we're taking on. Mark, it seems in the in the past couple of weeks or so, Jordan Romano has obviously the guy who went to the mm-hmm. All Star game, but he has emerged even more as I think what we would 
you know, so when we close our eyes, we view as being the prototypical closer, the guy who gets fired up, gets the crowd fired up, goes to the manager, let give me the ball again. I mean, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not done here. How satisfying has it been for you to see how Jordan Romano has developed into this closer? Because this is kind of, this was an organizational. A lot of people had a hand in this, didn't they, in, in getting him to where he is now? Yeah, it's a it's a great story. I mean, I was even thinking last night. I mean, come on, when the when the lights go down and the red lights and the Canadian flag come up, and a kid from the GTA, you know, jogs in from the bullpen slowly, um, you know, to take the mound to close out games for us, and is doing it at, at an elite, you know, all star level. Um, you know, what, how incredible is that? You know, how many. Yeah, how cool is that for the city and you know for the country to have the pride of one of the most important players on our team that was you know raised in this you know in this area and 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 was grew up being a fan of the team he's pitching for, which is kind of what every one of us and every kid dreams about. You know, we all dream about playing for the team that we uh, grew up watching. So, um, but I, I think what makes him special uh, beyond his his stuff, which is really really good but that's not what makes him special it's mm-hmm. the ability to handle blown saves i've always said you know what makes the the elite closer special is not saving games it's handling the blown save and you know he's had some tough moments this year some tough stretches this year and it's the guy uh the teammate the person the pitcher the competitor that comes out the next day uh with the same determination the same confidence you know, is not scarred by those moments, just accepts them and moves forward. So um, I think it's been a, a testament to his character, to his toughness, to his perseverance, um, and, and a special story for this for this fan base and this city. When, when you hear players are trying too hard, how does an organization help them through that? Uh, a lot of conversations with whoever they trust and and respect most, but you can probably answer that better than me. How, what do you think? Well, I mean, this time of the year, I've never been through anything like this, right? And it's young guys trying to get a organization and a country through something like that. I just wonder, you know, is it Ross going down? Would it be you? Would it be the manager? I'm sure, you know, I know the coaches, they're doing their part. I just, I just wonder how that conversation would go. And cause you want guys to try, right, Mark, you don't want them not to try. Yeah. How's no, that's that fine line there? You know, it's kind, of, it's kind of what I was saying earlier that I, that I think has been, been a little bit of a challenge at times for us and watching the team and, and for fans too is knowing that these guys you know I can tell you they care and they they're working hard um you know I think it's it's but it, there is a learning process and you know there, there still are things that we're going through for the first time and I guess this is contention at home with fans you know which we <laughs> yeah. which we haven't been through and um you know, there's no question that they want to do well. There's no question that, you know, people I've heard the word urgency. No, they, these guys aren't blind. They wake up and know the situation. They know the schedule. They know the, you know, the number of games left. They feel urgency. They felt urgency from game one. You know, we didn't have to, we don't have to talk about those things. So um, the, the answer to your question directly is there's no one answer to that. It's, yeah. You know, individual people, and, and just like you're teaching kids in school, um, you know, you have to connect first. So you figure out the people that best connect. Um, you have to have a lot of conversations, and ultimately just support them because they're so talented um, and they're so capable of being great. That you know, I, I I start every watching every game thinking our best baseball starts tonight, and I really feel like we're capable of that, and we're capable of running off a a stretch of baseball deep into October. 
There you go. That's uh, Blue Jays president Mark Shapiro speaking to Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker on our sister station, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. Lots there. Uh, the renovations and the all-star break, very or all-star game bid, very interesting. Um, Talking about how weird this season has been for him and this Blue mm-hmm. Jay team, it's been it's been a really yeah, I thought it was a, I thought year. it was a pretty honest interview from Mark Shapiro. To be honest, I think he answered that he's given the interview in the first place. Yeah, you know, he, still well, he even said that. Yeah. yeah, he said it's a pretty rare spot for a, a team president to be doing that yeah. and. I guess that goes to show like what he he cares about this team and he reads it. He knows that things aren't right right now. That this team should be. Well, know, I don't know if they're not right. I think they're. I think he knows things can be better. Better, yes. Yeah, sorry, yeah, it can be better for sure. That this team maybe expectations from us on the media side of things and fans' expectations were a little high. Vegas had them as the second best favorite to win the World Series behind the L.A. Dodgers. Not quite there, are they? Not quite there yet. I know anything can happen once you get into October, and I know a lot will happen over this next month. And it starts tonight. Getting, uh, getting a, like I think you got to straight up sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates, man. A hundred percent. Yeah, you, you have to. It's the the Pirates are, are an awful team, but I mean, going Golden back, the Nationals to, are worse than them. Yeah, going back to the the last week, right? You're sitting there talking about how things were, you know, a disappointing homestand. Yeah, right. You got swept by the Angels. You didn't finish off a sweep chance against the Cubs. Uh-huh. If this team wants to get where they're going, you have to beat these teams, and then you have to beat the Orioles and the Rays and the Yankees and these teams that you're going to see. Well, the, I think it's the way they're losing them these games too. It's it's the no offense against LA, and then it's it's fighting tooth and nail to pull out the two victories against the Cubs, and then in that third game they get behind again, and at that I don't just like. At some points, you're like, I don't think they're coming back. It, I don't have that in me right now. It just, it feels like it used to be a team where they get down five nothing, they get down six nothing, seven two. There's still five innings to go. This team was going to rally. It's, I, right now with this group, it doesn't feel like they can, they get behind and come back. Well, it's hard to uh, to see uh, October wins when you can't beat. The Even Cubs though they, I think the they do have, I should or... say, I think they have like the second most come from behind wins actually in the league. Yeah, but I mean, I mean the, the point is, is it's hard to see how anything happens in October when yeah. you can't beat the Angels in August. Yeah, right. And the Angels are bad. The Cubs are bad. If you can't beat the Pirates with yeah. Manoa on the mound. And then you go out and beat the Rays or the Orioles. After after the Pirates, they only have two series left against teams below them, below five hundred. Three with the Rangers to cap off this roadie, and then way down the line at their last home series, they play the Red Sox. Gotta make hay if you're the Jays. We'll see if they can tonight. It starts with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Four thirty-five first pitch. Alec Manoa on the mound. You can listen to the game right here on Sportsnet nine sixty. The fan. Or watch it on the Sportsnet Television Network. We'll take a break. Come back on the other side. As Sportsnet Today continues here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Back to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960, the fan. One more day It's uh, in your work week. It's a Friday, getting ready for a long weekend here in Calgary, Labor Day weekend uh, around these parts, of course, around North America as well. Uh, we're getting here. We're here. I'm Patrick DeMoss, Sportsnet Today, Logan Gordon as well. And we go down the uh, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Really excited for this chat. It's been a long time since this city has had a, uh, or rather this area has had a, 
a proper motorsports facility, and uh, one has officially opened just north of the city. It's Rocky Mountain Motorsports, and uh, we are joined down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline uh, talking to Dominic Young, the president and CEO of Rocky Mountain Motorsports. How are you doing on this Friday, Dominic? Hey, good afternoon. It's uh, it's a hot, uh, uh, slightly windy afternoon out here at the track, but uh, everyone here is having fun. Yeah, so it was officially opening yesterday. How did that go? Long time coming, I'm sh- I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we've been working uh, on, on the project for about 10 years, but at this site for about seven years. So we got our clearance about three weeks ago, and yesterday we decided uh, we'd call it an official opening. It was actually uh, two years to the day since we started moving dirt. So it was an appropriate day. Um, had a big crowd out here. Um, and, uh, yeah, everyone everyone's just amazed by the track. So, yeah, I mentioned nearly 11 years since Calgarians and Southern Albertans have had a place to sell, safely exercise their love of racing and motorsports uh, since the closure of, closer, uh, closure of Race City uh, back in 2011. Talk to me about the history of getting Rocky Mountain Motorsports done. Oh, wow. Um, well, I mean, I can, I can skip pretty quickly over the first couple of years where we were trying to uh, do an application at a different site in Rocky View County, and that didn't go very well uh, on the final day. So uh, the group of uh, investors got together, and uh, the vast majority of us decided that we try again. We found, uh, investigated about 24 different sites and settled on this one here at, uh, in just into Mountain View County at the Carstairs Overpass, uh, 581 and number two highways. Um, and from there, it was the journey to go through the whole uh, zoning uh, process. Uh, that took a couple of years, and then it was uh, dealing with some uh, other issues that uh, delayed us about 18 months, and then we did the development permit. Uh, that's about a year and a half process, and started construction September 1, 2020. Now, tell me about the area, and it's near Cars Stairs. Now, what do you expect? What can people expect when they show up at the gate? Uh, well, they can expect an awesome track. Um, so, uh, when people uh, show up, uh, what they're going to see is a, a three and a half kilometer uh, long uh, racetrack. Um, it's uh, got 16 turns. It's got 36 meters of elevation change in the lap, so it's not a flat track by any means. And, um, you know, it really is literally a world-class track. It's been designed by Herman Tilkin Company out of Germany uh, with some input from some of our folks. Um, uh, we've got a good-sized paddock area right now for use uh, for, for the staging. Um, that'll expand next year. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're ready to go, uh, ready to operate. Now, t- tell me more about the track layout. Now, what are some uh, some of the uh, the straightaways? Like, what are the the turns? Anything uh, uh, different or you know more interesting that you you see? Like, what are like some crazy turns? Like, what are some uh, some of the fun that uh, some drivers might expect when they get onto the track? Yeah, I mean, I think all of the turns have their own own different challenges. But if you wanted to talk about just a, a few that are uh, sort of yeah. exceptional in that regard, um, I find that uh, for my own purposes turn six is a bit tricky it's a decreasing radius turn in other words it gets tighter as you get through the turn so you have to set up properly for that one um the combination of nine ten and eleven is really fun for me uh you can come in fairly fast into nine um but as you there's a short distance between nine and ten and ten is the sharpest turn on the track uh, so you have to really cut your speed down as you enter into that turn and then you go right into a swooping downhill into turn eleven um, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, then you head into a big acceleration zone uh, up through uh, turn 12, and then you start the big climb into 13. So it's got an 8-degree uphill, 10-degree uh, banking on this turn. It's a long, sweeping turn, and then right at the apex, it turns in, it inverts into a downhill. So your car is going to get really light at that point and want to slide to the outside. 
And if that's not enough, you get to go into uh, an off-camera turn 14. In other words, the track is actually sloping away from mm. you to go through the turn. Now, what type so of those are, those are some of the challenging features? Sweet. Okay. Now, what what type of vehicles uh, are allowed on the track? Is it a regular everyday sedan, or do you need more like maybe the, you need a roll cage or or something like that, or is it just every any day vehicle can go on it? Uh, most vehicles could go on the track. Um, you don't require a roll cage if you're just engaged in lapping. Okay. If you're actually entering into a racing series, then we'd require a roll cage. Now, talk to me about uh, what comes along with the different tiers of membership. Uh, yeah, so uh, all of our members have access. Uh, the, the, the business model we have is that uh, membership is going to have access to 50% of the track time, uh, and the other 50% will be available for various forms of public access. Um, but the public will be limited to three times a year on track if they're not a member. So uh, the public access would be comprised of um, performance driving schools or uh, private uh, track rentals through either car or motorcycle club or through an auto uh, dealer or just a private track um, uh, track running group. Um, now, from a membership perspective, um, the different levels have slightly different benefits, but um, you know the base level, which we call gold, um, has access to about 40% of track time throughout the year. So if you have a, a 200-day season, uh, let's call it, uh, you know, you have access to the equivalent of uh, 80 days of track time. Now, no one's ever going to use that, but you have that that, that uh, flexibility. Okay. And I've heard, uh, you mentioned the driving schools there. Now, that's definitely one of the more important things you guys offer. Now, uh, is it right, like right from when you, you turn 16 and get your license, you can go on there? Or is it, you know, is there a certain age? Or is it just like, talk to me more about those driving schools. No, we would take anyone that has a license and, okay. and um, you know, wants to sign up. We've had, uh, for instance, parents phone and say, hey, my, you know, son, daughter is turning 17. I'd like to buy them this for their birthday. So it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's open access. And, and we start from, you know, the ground level up in terms of the, the very basics of, you know, how you drive on a track, track etiquette. Uh, and then they do uh, get into, obviously, after the classroom session, some, some actual track time uh, behind the uh, instructors. Okay, and obviously we get uh, get a lot of snow and cold around these parts for about ha- half the year or so. Will the facility be open during the winter for different types of events? Uh, open on a more limited basis. Okay. So we will look at uh, winter driving schools. Uh, we'll also look at um, being available for tire manufacturers and SUV manufacturers that want to have uh, either either product testing or demonstrations. Okay. Uh, so those are... would be good winter uses. Okay. Sorry. No, all good. Uh, are there plans, uh, maybe, I don't know if you guys just opened, but are there plans definitely um, in the future for maybe a professional racing series to come? Like, I know you need stands and, and other things, but is there plans down the line to maybe bring, like, uh, like a NASCAR Canadian Tire Series or, or, like, something like that to a track like Rocky Mountain Motorsports? You know, I would tell you that there is the possibility of that, but there's a whole other level of uh, permitting that uh, okay. is baked into the uh, bylaw that would it would take an extreme amount of effort mm-hmm. and we'd have to see that it was, uh, you know, worth doing. But if we were to look at something like a smaller racing series that isn't going to have a lot of spectators, sure. um, those are things that we could target um, in the more, you know, immediate future. Now, what's the the best uh, way to get to Carstairs for, for somebody who's new to the city? Like, how would you explain getting there to someone? I would say uh, if you're coming from uh, Calgary, you're going to come north on uh, number two highway until you hit uh, Highway 581. That's exit 315. It's also the Carstairs overpass. Um, you simply take the uh, eastbound exit, and you go about 500 meters down, and then you turn right again, and you're there. Awesome, Donnie. Anything else uh, we're missing or you want to talk about with uh, with the track opening up this weekend? 
Uh, no, uh, well, sorry, yes. <laughs> We're starting to uh, post uh, future dates now on okay. our website. So if anyone's interested in looking to see what might be available for either a school or for an open lapping session, um, they can look there. We do have uh, pre-requirements for the open lapping sessions, so you have to be able to show us that you've got some demonstrable track experience through maybe a you know a Bondurant school or some other recognized school, or otherwise you can take our half-day school, and then you'd be eligible to come into our open lapping sessions. Awesome, Dominic. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about Rocky Mountain Motorsports. I'm excited to potentially get up there in the future and check out the place. Thank you so much. Awesome. Love to have you up here. Just uh, give me a call when you're ready. All right. Take care, Dominic. Okay. Thanks very much. That's Dominic Young, uh, president and CEO of the Rocky Mountain Motorsports facility just north of the city here, uh, just uh, near Carstairs. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's been 11 years since Race City shut down. I know a lot of people uh, miss that place, had some more professional racing obviously going on there, but uh, just a place to sit for for people, you know, get off the road. You know, street racing is still a a big deal in in, in some some parts, and this gives people a safe place to go. Yeah, Race City was a a Calgary icon for a lot of people. It was huge here, and I know a lot of people have been waiting for something similar to pop back in. This is a new venture here in Calgary, and uh, there's still lots to go with it. And obviously, mm-hmm. as you talk with Dominic there, they've got you know lots to get to. They've just opened, but it's uh, a great start, and I think something that people with uh, that race, you know, history and that yeah. race, you know, excitement in them have a place to finally go again. And it's it's cool. Like I thought, you know, you need a roll cage, you need your car to be a certain type of car. No, you could just take your take your truck out there and take a few laps or whatnot <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's open for everybody and I think that's really cool and the driving schools are awesome. So, yeah, not too far and that's a, that's a really cool looking track. I was looking at the layout on their website. Uh, beautiful picturesque scenery obviously out there and then the, just on the foothills for sure. So, that's awesome. Can't wait to go check that out. I'm uh, going to shift things over back to the CFL here. Uh, we've talked to Eddie Steele, the former CFLer, today about a couple of different CFL topics. But, of course, the one that we focus on the most here in Calgary is the Calgary Stampeders. One more Stamps report for you ahead of your long weekend and ahead of the Labor Day Classic at McMahon Stadium. Here's Matty Rose with your Friday Stamps report. Well, it was the final practice of your standard work week, but for the Stampeders, with their game being Monday afternoon, they were really just getting started on Friday. Another practice Saturday, a walkthrough on Sunday, all of that ahead of the rivalry game, 2.30, the Labor Day Classic against the Edmonton Elks. And a closed practice on Friday, but we do have the injury report, so we can report some changes here. Really only one change from Thursdays, and that saw running back Kadeem Carey listed as a full participant, upgraded from limited the day prior as he works through an ankle issue. Other good news, linebacker Jameer Thurman, offensive lineman Julian Good-Jones, and receivers Richie Sindani and Jalen Philpott, all for full participants after missing time. Sindani and Philpott on the one-game list, while Good-Jones and Thurman have been taken off the six-game injured list early, them and defensive back Brandon Dozier, who was limited for both Thursday and Friday's session. It would be a welcome sight if Dozier can return because Titus Wall remains on the six-game with a foot injury, and Darius Williams has been in a sling all week after he injured his shoulder in Winnipeg. The only other real designations on the injury report saw O-lineman Ryan Sevier limited with a knee issue and Colton Hunchak missing his second straight practice with an illness, but definitely some questions at the Sam linebacker position. This is what Dave had to say in regards to the three players coming off the six-game list, Thurman, Dozier, and Good Jones. All those guys that came off six got a little bit of extra work. Uh, if they show up tomorrow and they feel good, I, I would assume all could play. And uh, then again, uh, 
we'll see how tomorrow comes along to, to, to make that final decision. It does look like Thurman might be as close to a lock as you can get as far as returning to the lineup. Dave Dickinson took some time to talk about what his return could mean, especially with the leadership capabilities that Thurman possesses. Yeah, no, he's been a good leader for years, but he's quieter. You know, we've always had Mike linebackers, but I can remember, you know, going back to Simp and then like Alex Singleton that are uh, quite vocal. You know, they come out of the locker room door talking, talking trash. And I think Thurm is, is a little bit more business, um, just, but I know he's got that leadership in him, and obviously uh, when he's on the field, we're better. Benefits to have him against a quarterback like Cornelius that can use his legs, kind of get out of the pocket as well? Yeah, I mean, Silas has been playing pretty well. Silas can really run, uh, you know, but like you said, I think Thurm's seen a lot more looks, um, you know, sits in his zones a little bit better. You know, I do think they'll try to establish the run on us, so we'll have to make sure we can stop the run. and. Uh, Hopefully, as a, as a group, we, we get him off the field. And we also had a chance to catch up with Thurman after Friday's session, and he tells us he's been ready and rearing to go. I'm good. I'm good, man. I've, I've been feeling good for a while, but, you know, uh, I'm just glad that I'm able to get back out there with the guys. Yeah. So. Six game, you kind of knew you weren't going to be out for six games? I, I, I didn't know I was going to be one game, but, you know, how things work, you know, uh, it was a, a low management decision, but I didn't have much say. Uh, but... <laughs> I mean, uh, I feel great now. You know, I'm, I feel uh, close to 100%. I'm ready to go on Labor Day. So. Does it feel like you're not looking at the schedule, not underestimating anyone, but like it kind of feels like this team could go on a run starting now? We need to go on a run. I mean, we, we, we understand what's coming up this stretch. Everyone always talks about Labor Day. You know, the season really starts. No, the season starts at the beginning of the year. Uh, Labor Day tends to pick up a little bit. You tend to position yourself for the end of the season. That's all it is. This is a big matchup in the sense that this is the one that the fans all kind of circle on their calendar and all mm -hmm. that. Are you excited to kind of get in front of all the hype and all that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love playing on Labor Day. You know, the black jerseys, there's something about it. You know, last year, it's, it's, it's a disappointment. I was uh, kind of disrespect to the fans and to the organization that's losing on that day. Uh, so we look to bounce back and uh, change the outcome this year. What are some of the things you're kind of keying on with the Edmonton offense? Uh, just, just how we uh, played last time versus them. You know, we, we, we stuck to our keys. Uh, we ran to the ball. We made plays, a lot of plays, and it showed in how we played. Colby yeah. Williams is uh, another guy who's been part of this secondary mm -hmm. for a while. Just uh, on the aspect of communication with yeah. you guys, whenever they're moving in, whatever position yeah. they may be, what are some of the challenges in that when it well, might be a little out? Well, you know, when you start to build communication with some guys and something happens, another guy has to step up. Uh, you just got to over-communicate in practice. So then when in the game, it gets a little easier, and the communication is you, you all are on the same page and everything runs smoothly. Being the middle guy, that's a, a tone that you have to set. Do you mm -hmm. kind of relish that and understand? That yeah, kind of absolutely. And I, and, I, and I talk to these guys in the meeting rooms, in the locker room, whenever I can, just to get them knowing, like, I'm always right here. If you got any questions about anything or want to communicate on different concepts that they run, I'm right here to talk about it. You were in the... Uh video for the black jerseys mm -hmm. but they didn't get you on the horse uh, no I, I uh, <laughs> chose not to get on the horse because uh, I was uh, I was I was in a position where if something happened while I was on their horse you know I, I don't know if I would have been playing in the Labor Day game so uh, I took that on the liberty of myself of not getting on there was it hard to get Reggie on the horse no, he, he relished the opportunity, as you can see. They posted all the pictures of Reggie uh, first on there, and, and it's all three of us out there. So, you know, it's, but no, you know, that's that's his thing. That's really not my thing, but it was all good. I'm sure Mike handled that in a quiet fashion. You saw you saw Mike's face in all those pictures, you know. He, he, loved, he enjoyed it the entire time.
And if you haven't checked out the Stampeders' social channels, the video they dropped to announce the new jerseys with Reggie Bagleton, Mike Rose, and Jameer Thurman, who you just heard, is great. The uniform, the uniforms themselves are also great, and Monday's going to be a ton of fun. Dave Dickinson asked about the gravitas of this game with the jerseys and the flyover and the rivalry and everything that it means to the fans. Danny Austin, our friend from Post Media, brought up the point that there are even some fans who would rather win this game than the Grey Cup. Dave, not buying into that notion. Uh, no, I, I'll go the other way. Uh, if you tell me that we win the Grey Cup if we lost this game, I would uh, I'd probably uh, throw in the towel. So, but it's a big game. It's a fun game. It's and it is. You know, it used to have a little bit more. I believe uh, fans traveled more. I thought I thought that more fans from Edmonton came down, and and we also had more go north. So uh, I'd like to get back to that. I think it's fun. I think the. The atmosphere can be even a little more electric when you kind of have the two fan bases kind of going back and forth at each other. I think that's when things are the best. And we're only three hours away, so uh, love to pack this place. If we see some green, so be it. That'll make a great atmosphere. What do we know about the Elks? Expecting Tyler Cornelius to start at quarterback. They're without a lot of their offensive weapons as well. James Wilder Jr., they're running back on the sixth game. Kenny Lawler expected to be put on the sixth game as well. That ahead of Monday's contest, but they do still have Darrell Walker. Expect Ante Litre, the former Stampeder, to feature heavily at running back. Dave Dickinson also gave his thoughts on the Elks' defense, which has its fair share of playmakers. Ed Ganey, Jake Ceresna, Niles Morgan at middle linebacker, all of that led by Chris Jones. Jones. Well, he'll have an identity. He's had nine days. There'll be some new stuff that we haven't seen. Uh, they'll play hard. They'll play aggressive. Um, you know, a lot of times they, they bring everything and then maybe only three guys and, and then they play some stuff, aggressive man in between. So I know I'll get a bunch of different stuff. Um, Jake hasn't seen it as often as Bo has, um, but, you know, we have played him twice and got him in the uh, preseason as well, I believe. So at least we've seen some things that they've done and, uh, we got to adjust. We got to do a good job coaching on the sideline because there will be some new stuff. It's always a doozy. Labor Day, 2.30 kickoff at McMahon. The Gridiron Gardens get going at 12.30 with the live music and family entertainment. So grab your tickets, have some fun, and we'll see you down at McMahon on Monday. With your Stamps Report, I'm Matt Rose. Thank you, Matthew Rose, the co-host of uh, the big show in the morning here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan, and your Stampeders Insider. You can find Matt on Twitter for all your latest news on the Calgary Stampeders, at Matt Rose, YYC. Uh, how are we feeling ahead of this one for the Stamps on Monday, Patrick? Sounds like Kenny Lawler going on the sixth game. That yeah. is a massive loss for the Elks. Yeah, definitely probably their number one weapon that they had to work with for uh, for uh, Tyler Cornelius and Taylor Cornelius, sorry, and the Edmonton Elks. I think, you know, the Stamps, uh, they, they're ready to start flexing what they got here. This is a good group. You know, they played probably their closest game of the three against Winnipeg last week. Uh, this, is a, this is straight up. This is a more talented group than the Edmonton Elks are. Calgary should go in there and at least win by two touchdowns. That's how I'm feeling about this. It's the Stamps beating Edmonton on Labor Day. That's just what it's been the last decade outside of last year. But still, like... This is a much better group, and Edmonton trading away like I, like trading away David Beard like this is a huge that was a huge massive guy on that offensive line for them, hometown kid too, sending him to Hamilton. I don't know what's going on with Chris Jones. Eddie Steele doesn't know what the heck's going on with Edmonton either. It's it's a messy group. Uh, injury report for the Stampeders today. Uh, lots of good news in the report. Kadeem Carey, running back, was a full participant in practice. Not great news. Brandon Dozier still limited. 
We'll see what his status is ahead of Monday. Julian Good-Jones and Jameer Thurman, the other two players who were activated off of the six-game injured list, they got in full practices. Expect them to be ready to go for Monday. Same for Richie Sindani, two full practices in a row for him. Ryan Sevier still limited, while Colton Hunchak and Darius Williams both did not practice for the second day in a row, leaving their status for Monday very much doubtful. We'll see exactly what the Stampeders line up with uh, in a couple of days here on the weekend when the depth charts get released. But, of course, that's the game that we'll be watching for on Monday afternoon, 2.30 at McMahon Stadium. Get your tickets, get down there, and uh, enjoy what should be one of the best games of the season. For sure. Also got the Battle of Ontario earlier on. Uh, I believe it's an 11 a.m. kickoff, Calgary time on Monday. Mm-hmm. And, of course, sold-out Mosaic Stadium on Sunday for the Bombers and the Riders in the Banjo Bowl rematch, rematch up in Edmonton. Uh, next week, there'll be plenty of CFL action for us to dive into here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Uh, let's go south of the border and chat some NFL football. The Denver Broncos making some news, committing to their franchise quarterback for a very long time. Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post joins us to chat. Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.